0: You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. With me today, I have Joe Rust. I am your host, Jeff Davidson. Uh, My brother Kyle will be back next week. He's on vacation for this week. If you're listening to our show for the first time, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-based registered investment advisor now in our 32nd year of business with offices in Corpus Christi and San Antonio. If you'd like to learn more about the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 800-275-2162. That number once again is 800-275-2162. If you have an investment-related question you'd like for us to discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise@davidsoncap.com. Now, for our listeners on W twelve hundred W O A I in San Antonio, this weekend's MoneyWise program will be only thirty minutes. Uh, I think there's a sporting event. I believe it's the Spurs will be coming on um, uh, at uh, six thirty. For our listeners at on WAI, for our listeners at KK, on KKTX 1360 in Corpus Christi, we'll have our normal two-hour show. And for our listeners on WAI, if you want to listen to the entire show uh, for this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at com and click on the radio show link. Well, as we start off every weekend's Money Wise program, let's go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. And in the week just past, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 562 points or 1.8%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 96 points or 2.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 682 points or 4.9%. Now, we ended the week uh, into the month of February Uh, and so let's go into the numbers for the month. Uh, the Dow was up 3.2%. The S and P 500 for the month of February was up 2.6%. And the NASDAQ for the month of February was up 0.9%. And finally for the year to date, the Dow is up 1.1%. The S and P 500 year to date is up 1.5%. And the NASDAQ year to date is up 2.4%. Uh, a lot of news this week, uh, moving the markets around, the, the news, and I kind of use that in quotations, is uh, really around uh, worries of about higher interest rates. And interestingly enough, though the numbers don't necessarily reflect it, a worry about higher inflation in the future. And, and so <clears throat> the markets, very much very volatile in the week just past. And this volatility has definitely uh, brought all of the major indexes uh, year-to-date and performance really close to each other. You know, there was a wide gap, much wider gap, between the the performance of the NASDAQ year-to-date versus the Dow Jones Industrial Average heading into this week. We we unfortunately didn't have a, a show last week due to the storm of uh, – but there's definitely a lot of uh, uh, hand ringing. You know, the hand ringing has certainly it certainly increased last week, and I, I don't. Uh, uh, we want to talk a little bit about you know whether this is a trend or a trade. Joe, do you want to add something there?
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that you look at in the last week is obviously a, a pretty quick raise and in, uh, quick increase in rates. Obviously, with that, you have the NASDAQ or, or, or growth, if you will, sell off. But I think what you're starting to see is maybe what some people were predicting a little bit more of a broader recovery across the different indexes going into this year. I mean, if you look at the S&P 500, 2.6% through two uh, two months, you take that times six months, you're about up 12 to 13% for the year. Mm. And I'll take that any day of the week. But I right. think – you know that I think the what we were talking about before the show, the speed with which rates increased this week triggered some of the volatility in the market, and, and that's where we are.
0: Okay, so let's talk about where interest rates were the last time that we did a Money Wise program, which would have been the week ending Friday, February the 12th. And the 10-year Treasury is what the market generally focuses on uh, because mortgage rates are tied to it. That, that Friday, February the 12th closed, the 10-year Treasury yield was one, we'll just round it off, 1.2%. And on two weeks later, close of business on February the 26th, the 10-year Treasury closed at 1.4%. So a two-tenths of 1% increase in the 10-year Treasury in the last two weeks since we've done a Money Wise program results in almost a 700-point decline for the week in the Nasdaq, and I think the Nasdaq off its uh, all-time high. I think it's like six or seven percent off its all-time high. Now, two weeks ago, we were talking about don't be surprised in somewhere in here that the markets might have a little hiccup. The markets had not had what we would call a, and I hate to use the word healthy, but I just did correction. In a number of months. This was, and, and I think uh, this this week was the worst week for the NASDAQ since October. Um, so that's what, we got three months, four months The that the NASDAQ has had a, a week down as much as it was. But what you, you know, something you just said a moment ago, Joe, you were talking about, uh, you know, you're talking about positive things. You're talking about, faster economic growth. And there is here's a headline from CNBC. I think this was on the 25th. This was on Thursday. And the headline reads the bond market is betting on a red hot economy and stocks don't like it. Now, is it reasonable to assume that a red hot economy over the long term, is bad for stocks. No, it is not reasonable to assume it, it's that, that a red, to... it, it, it makes no sense. Right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to take what happened in the last week with a big grain of salt that it is not a trend. It's a trade. It, it's a trade. And yeah. so traders, <clears throat> traders are going to trade.
1: And, and Jeff, we were talking about algorithms and, mm-hmm. Essentially, software that programs raising you know rates that are raising, and obviously their are trades that are that are predicated off of interest rates going up. So we right. probably could see a little bit of that uh, going into this week.
0: And I think that when we come back from break, we'll, we'll talk about some other reasons why the markets were were so volatile. And it has to do with complex financial instruments that the average investor doesn't have any exposure to. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk some more about, about that. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from the Moneywise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 1-800-275-2162. That number again is 1-800-275- Two one six two. If you have an investment-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise@davidsoncap.com. So as we were going out from the previous segment into the break, uh, we're talking a little bit about some reasons why the markets were so volatile this week. And I, I think at the top reason why the markets were volatile is it's been – many many months since we've had a correction of any you know any any real percentage amount okay the nasdaq has been on a move that, I, i'm not going to call it parabolic but the nasdaq has been moving very very quickly higher and the nasdaq had been way ahead of the other two uh, indices the s&p and the dow jones industrials in terms of performance and you know some of the price earnings ratios of of many of those big stocks you know the big players the the Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, I'm leaving one of them out help me out here Joe. Alf Google, Google, Alphabet. Alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is not it was not out of the realm of possibility to have, you know, have a pullback. And when a pullback happens, the traders came out of the woodwork. Yeah, Joe.
1: Well, well, two weeks ago before we had Snowmageddon down here That's in right. Texas, mm-hmm. uh, I remember Kyle saying, look, the, the, the NASDAQ, I believe, was up about 7%, mm-hmm. and the, that number is not sustainable through the year. Actually,
0: I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Joe. When we last had a show on February the 12th, the NASDAQ was up 9.4% year-to-date. The Dow was up 2.8% year-to-date. Now, two weeks has passed, and the NASDAQ has shed 7% from that number, now up 2.4% for the year. The Dow has only shed a little over a percent and a half, but it's still up for the year. All the indices, despite what happened in the week just past, are up for February and up for the year to date. So like you were saying previously, it's hard to get uh, too pessimistic If the first two months of the year are up 1.5% in the S&P without dividends and you you extrapolate that out, multiply that times six, and you're talking about a 9% plus dividend yield, so you're still talking about a double-digit year that we're on pace for, I think think we're all on record that we can do better than that this year, and interest rates are moving higher for the right reasons. They're not moving up for the wrong reasons and yes, with
1: and with that if you're if you're looking at you know you get a month end statement and you and you're looking at the grand scheme of things i mean we always talk about duration in the fixed income market and bonds right. and if you look at corporate bonds right now obviously if rates are going to go up the bond price is going to go down and i was actually checking out some of the corporate bonds that we have and where they are and they yes they are down so you know investors need to understand the direct the correlation between stocks and bonds and we're, uh, Friday, we were watch, I was watching CNBC, and of course, at the end of the show, they're talking about what? Talking about rates going up and bond prices going down. So right. that's the other thing you need to be aware of when you're looking at your portfolio at the end of the month is, why but am the, I where I am? The
0: things that we warn investors most about in every time we have a movement up higher in interest rates is, like you said, Joe, is, is you've got to understand, whatever the instruments that you own, whether it's a mutual fund, whether it's individual bond holdings, that the those holdings that have longer maturities to when they pay off are going to be most susceptible to negative price changes in a rising interest rate environment. And so for many years, our individually managed bond portfolios have had maturities much shorter, meaning the the money is coming back into the account through maturities much sooner than later. So two, three years out, we're getting, we're getting the money back so that we can reinvest in what we believe would be higher interest rates. Now, by having a portfolio that's designed in that way in a rising interest rate environment, our bond portfolio is not as susceptible to price changes or higher interest rates as other portfolios that would have longer maturities if, if their portfolio contained you know, longer maturity bonds. So when I look at performance, we still are showing positive performance for the year in our individually managed bond portfolios. And you look at the indexes, well, no surprise that the long maturity indexes are, have negative performance year-to-date. Uh, I and mean, we're talking, you know, low, you know, we're talking 3 4% negative performance year-to-date in the longer maturity bond funds. Well, that shouldn't be surprising considering interest rates have gone up. Four tenths of a percent. Now that, that number sounds low. We just think about it, it's like, well, Four tenths of a percent doesn't sound like much, but it's not. It's not the that the absolute number. It's the percentage move because we started the year it, it, it below one percent yield. So yields on the ten-year treasury are up forty percent from the from the end of twenty twenty. Well, that's a pretty big. That's a substantial move from a percentage point of view, and that's what's got traders spooked. And that's what's got these complex financial instruments that I alluded to in the previous segment, where you've got uh, interest rates tied to these stock indexes. And if the interest rate moves up, then they've got to sell stocks and do this and do that. And these complex instruments creates a higher level of volatility. And then you've you've got traders that see an opportunity to trade the volatility. Yes, Joe.
1: Well, there's traders. And in in my notes for the day, we talked about rates and rates Mm -hmm. and traders. And there's actually different types of traders. We even have a brand new type of trader. If you start talking about, I'm not going to name the stock that begins with a G, but they're traders that are systematic and they're the gamblers. Okay. and We could talk about that a little bit later, but, uh, you know, that was one of the things I noticed when, when Charlie Munger, who is the vice chair for Berkshire Hathaway, Mm -hmm. which is actually has a 31 year track record. How long have we been in business? Jeff?
0: 32, 32 this is our 32nd years,
1: 32 years. And he talked about the, the, the article is called Charlie Munger says novice investors are, are getting lured into a bubble, uh, in a dirty way by Robin Hood. Yeah. But one of the things I want to point out there is a difference between what we do, which is portfolio management and we're investing for the long term. Right. Traders and even to a certain extent this new, I would say tier of investors that he compares to gambling and taking your money and going to the racetrack and betting on the ponies. But so, really
0: they're they're not new. We saw this type of behavior in the late 20th century. And there's a quote, another right. quote here from Charlie Munger in that same that same article, quote, it's most egregious in the momentum trading by novice investors lured in by new types of brokerage operations like Robinhood. And I think all of this activity is regrettable, end quote. Now, this activity is being motivated by online forums like Reddit and others. Not It's not much different than what was happening in the late 20th century dot-com era. Now, in the dot-com era, this was happening in hundreds of stocks. In the 21st century, in 2021, it's, it's happening, in essence, basically one stock. Again, GameStop was on the radar this week. But after the market closed on Friday, we saw that the Securities and Exchange Commission took action on some over-the-counter stocks that appeared to have unusual trading activity and a lot of mentions and online social media and and, and online stock investing forums. And the SEC will just step in and shut down trading. They have the right to do that. So how long, this is kind of a little bit of a sideshow to what's happening with interest rates. And this, this whole notion right now is we're in, we're in an environment where good news "Quote unquote, bad news for stocks, and we've seen these types of environments before. This will it'll it'll go on for a few weeks. We'll get our correction, and then we'll move on down the road. People that have wanted to get into some of these higher growth names, like all like the fang stocks that we mentioned, are probably licking their chops for an opportunity, maybe to put some money to work in some of these stocks." and what what that means is does that mean that the nasdaq is going to stop going down next week and we're going to start to see a run back up to all time highs i don't know but i do know that the week what's happened in the last week and the fact that we've seen interest rates move higher is not the end of capitalism as we know it you know interest rates are moving up for the right reasons and the right reasons are a hotter economy more economic growth Next week, we'll probably may get a a, a jobs number that shows uh, an improve, continue to improve job market.
1: Well, in the next segment, we can talk a little bit about the F word, which I mean the Fed, but the other (laughs) uh, then the I word, which is inflation, and that's one of the things that Powell hit on earlier this week. And I know your dad will get mad about this, right? Because it does need to be discussed. Because I think that is one of the things that we need to pay attention to.
0: So for our WOAI listeners, this will be the end of Money Wise for this week on 1200 WOAI. You can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to the rest of today's show. For our listeners at KKTX in Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned and we'll be back after the bottom, of the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm and review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 1-800-275-2162. That number again is 1-800-275-2162. If you have an investment-related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise@davidsoncap.com. At so in the week just past, the headline news is rising interest rates and the threat that rising interest rates has over stock prices. And... This this week's interest rate rise, which we've just talked about in the previous segment, really over the last two weeks, the ten-year Treasury is up a whole two tenths of one percent. But as a percentage move, it's a, a fairly substantial percentage move. But I also will want to remind all of our listeners that even at one point two, pardon me, one point four percent on a ten-year Treasury in the week just passed. That's still a half percent lower than we were at the beginning of 2020. If my memory serves me correctly, we started 2020 before, you know, the coronavirus uh, shutdowns really hit the economy. We were, we had a 10 year treasury in and around yield in and around 2%. So we're still six six tenths of a percent below where we were uh, more than a year ago. Now, I think we're on record. I think we had said earlier this year that that we wouldn't be surprised to see the ten-year Treasury get to a two percent yield by the end of the year. And the one thing that we have to be mindful of as investors, it's not necessarily the absolute rate of the of the of the interest rates. You know what that number is is it's the number is going to mean something. More to investors, in my opinion, when the ten-year Treasury gets to a yield that is substantially above, say, the the yield of of, of uh, the S and P 500 dividends, which I think stands right now, one three one four somewhere, because someone was trying to make a correlation between the the S and P 500 dividend yield and the current yield on ten-year Treasury yesterday.
1: It, it slipped into that Thursday for the right. first time in a while. <sighs> The right. dividend yield on the S&P 500 was below the 10-year treasury. and That was, what was it, Thursday, I believe. Right. That, that happened when it was about 1.6 or so. Right, so but stocks, we, we the
0: diff, the difference between, obviously, stocks and bonds is that stocks give you growth. Bonds don't give you growth. growth bonds are about safety and income. That's that, right. that's why we have them in our portfolio. We don't own bonds for growth. We own them for safety and income. But I there was an article that I found – this was actually dated from 2017 that, that talks about historical market performance when interest rates rise. And it talked about a Fed funds rate being at 1.5%. Well, obviously, the Fed funds rates right now, I think, is between zero and one quarter of 1%. That ain't much. But, but it went back to 1971, I believe. <clears throat> and it showed that on average, the S&P 500 in rising interest rate environments on average was up 20%. And there were, there's at least, I think on this particular chart, about 10 different time periods when the 10 year treasury yield went up. And so did the stock market. Now, did that happen every time? No, but the average is 20% gain. Am I, Am I saying over the next two years that we go from a 10-year treasury yield right now, which is 1.4% and let's say two years from now, we're up to 3% and the S&P 500 is up another 20% from here? Maybe. What we have to be mindful of, ladies and gentlemen, is the pace at which interest rates go higher that's what we have to be mindful of if it goes up a half percent a week for the next four weeks straight that is going to be a huge problem for the stock market but what's the catalyst to cause interest rates to move that fast over that short period time period there isn't a realistic scenario that i that i can think of and so we'll have weeks like the week we just had or two weeks like we just had where where we have a two tenths of a percent increase in interest rates, which which equates to about a ten percent rise in the ten year treasury yield, and it'll freak out traders. And the markets will have a little bit of a freak out. And what gets attacked first? Well, the stocks that Whatever's have done the, best, the best are going to get attacked first.
1: Which is so, large cap growth. Which
0: is which is large cap growth technology. Your that's bank ex- names,
1: your exactly. apples, like we talked about earlier.
0: And so what we did earlier this year, Joe, where we, where we changed our portfolio composition to a more equal, to an equally weighted composition, because we had some of these stocks were overweighted in our portfolio. Several of those Fang names were double positions relative to the other stocks that we owned in our portfolio, and we changed that at the I think I believe it was the end of January to an equal weight and took profits in many of those names. That doesn't mean that our portfolios were immune from a uh, 5% decline in in the NASDAQ. You know, yeah, it, it had, it, it took its lumps in the week just past, but it, but it would have been much worse had we not rebalanced the portfolio into a more equally weighted uh, uh, composition. Like we, as we did, you know, at the end of January.
1: And, and Jeff, if I could hit on that for a second, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're looking at your portfolio we always talk about a complimentary portfolio review and how important that is. But if you're looking at your statement, you do own individual stocks, and all of a sudden you see, I've got three or four stocks that are 6 or 7% or 10% of your portfolio, and you have other stocks that are 1%, your risk is if you're overweight in those particular stocks that are doing really well,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you, you're, you're headed for, a, you might be headed for a, Larger than garden variety correction in your portfolio.
0: In your portfolio, yes, absolutely. Not not
1: everybody's portfolio, not in the equally weighted S&P or what have you, but in your portfolio specifically, Jeff and I were talking about a review we were doing where they had a particular uh, uh, chip stock that <laughs> was a significant part of a portfolio, which we owned. Great stock. We t- hit it for profits multiple times. But if you have too much of that stock, and Kyle and I could talk about right. back in the Enron days, that's what can happen.
0: Yeah, well, it, it's a 1% position in our portfolio and this particular this particular example uh, had multiple portfolios and one of the portfolios in this example had a 40 that's a 40% position in this one one stock. Well, that is obviously uh, a very excessive and we're talking about individual stocks. We're not talking about mutual funds. Mutual funds, that's okay. Cash, that's okay. Uh, but individual sto- ETFs, that can be okay, but not individual stocks. And,
1: and and I think if you drill down and you just have mutual funds or ETFs, if you had a position and say a large cap growth fund, and it was 20% of your portfolio, and now it's 30 35% of your portfolio, and you haven't rebalanced that, you haven't taken profits, there's still going to be risk inherently, and non-single, and a portfolio not constructed of individual stocks, and you just have to be wary of that too. Yeah. So,
0: so kind of summarizing the week just passed, before we switch gears into some investor education. We, you know, we ourselves have been talking about making some changes in the portfolio in terms of our asset allocation weightings towards uh, technology. Uh, potentially lightening up some of those allocations and reallocating that money to some other asset classes and some other industry groups. Uh, you know, one one industry group that we ventured into here recently that we haven't had any participation in at all for quite some time is what, Joe? I put you on the spot there. It's energy, <clears throat> and what was the stock that we had in our portfolio? We've been talking about this stock now, Fang. for for for. I don't know, two years, Diamondback Energy? F-A-N-G. 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 Yes. And, and uh, you know, though uh, the, the the really difficult winter weather that we've had here in the last couple of weeks is, has certainly uh, not hurt our position in, in that particular stock. Yeah,
1: we, we planned that.
0: <laughs> That's right, we planned way, that. We knew
1: it was coming, so.
0: <laughs> I wish ERCOT did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all test to that, but.
0: Yeah. So switching gears, um, Joe, you had pulled out an article. I think this is from MarketWatch in the week just past entitled, How to Retire Rich Without a Budget. No.
1: Sure. Right. And and this was uh, written earlier in this month. And one of the things that Jeff and I get a lot of in this month in particular, individual clients wanting us to do retirement planning for them. Yes, we are. We manage portfolios, that's what we do. But the other thing that we do as advisors is help clients construct a portfolio that's going to get them to retirement and through retirement, if you will. And me, we do work with 401ks and participants. And the number one question I get, it's not always what I would need to be invested in. It's really, what do I need to do to retire? And if you're too lazy to go online and use the software that's available for you, There's different ways to do it. And I know we're coming up against a break, but the article was called How to Retire Rich Without a Budget. And it made me think a little bit because one of the things we always ask clients to do or prospective clients, if they want a retirement roadmap, we need to know what their budget is. The other thing you have to do, actually even before that, is have a balance sheet, a personal financial balance sheet that you need to have for us to get from point A to point B And you know we can talk about that uh, a little bit after the break. You know,
0: I I think having a budget has to be right. It has to be the very first thing that any investor does before they even think about retirement. You 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 know this how to retire without a budget? To me, I don't see how you can retire with first not having a budget. I'm Uh, sure.
1: But if you're too lazy, if you're too lazy, (laughs) which sometimes I'm lazy, I'm going to show you one way that you might do that.
0: Okay, I'm interested to hear about that, Joe. You're listening to MoneyWise Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about our firm or review the different investment management programs we offer, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to discuss your personal financial situation and receive a portfolio review and analysis from the MoneyWise guys, you can reach our offices in Corpus Christi or San Antonio by calling 1 800 275 2162. That number, once again, is 1 800 275 2162. If you have an investment related question you'd like to hear us discuss during the show, you can send us an email at moneywise at So, tightening up uh, the end of last session, the last segment, to our, the, our discussion about uh, interest rates. And the statistics have shown that a rising interest rate environment does not necessarily indicate that the stock market is going to fall flat on its face. Uh, This last week notwithstanding, uh, there's going to be periods where the markets are going to have a more volatile reaction to a movement in interest rates. This is to be expected. We've come off historically low interest rates. And I, I think it's, again, safe to say that we will probably never see in our lifetimes a 10-year Treasury yield like we saw on March the 9th, 2020, when it got down to 0.31%. You know, we're we're going to go irregularly higher from here. The key is the velocity at which interest rates increase. As long as the velocity of rate increases is manageable, then the markets can digest higher interest rates. When, when interest rates have larger percentage moves relative to the overall yield, like we saw in the week just past, it will trigger higher volatility. Higher volatility can lead to days or multiple days of, of sharper Changes in price typically negative in stocks. This is just this is the this is the environment we're gonna ha- that we're gonna be in. But interest rates again to me are moving up for the right reasons because economic activity is accelerating. I've got a number of economic statistics in the week just passed. We're not gonna go over each one of them. I'm just gonna tell tell our listeners that they were all positive. The big one next week is is the unemployment number. That's the one we're going to be watching for next Friday. So switching gears, we gave a little preview of this in the previous segment about the the title of the article, How to Retire Rich Without a Budget.
1: Well, and Jeff, we were talking about there's always, and you look at social media or you talk, you watch TV and they talk about couch potato investing. Mm -hmm. I get this question a lot during 401k enrollment meetings or even from individual clients. It's like, what do I need to do to be able to retire? What do I have to have saved up at the end of the day to retire off of? That's, that's one of the questions. Well, this takes a pretty simplistic approach to doing it. We always say you need to have a budget and what it talks about in this particular article is saying, look, in order for you to retire, you need approximately 20 to 25 times your annual income, all right, your net worth. So basically, if you're making $100,000 a year, what is 100000 times 25? It's saying you need to have $2.5 million in your 401k, right. assuming a 4% withdrawal rate to retire comfortably. To, to retire th- at the
0: same income that you currently had and
1: retire quote unquote rich.
0: Right. And, and so when you run the numbers with that particular computation, we run them, (laughs) you, you, you apply a 5% compounded rate of return. You start at zero. You give yourself 25 years to get to two and a half million million dollars. Let's say you started saving at 35, right? So 25 years gets you to, uh seventy. I'm sorry, sixty. <laughs> <The> 60. <math. laughs> sorry about it's that. Okay. So let's, let's let's say you start at thirty-five saving money. Well, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars at thirty-five and you want to have that same level of income when you turn sixty years old well, you basically have to save over half your income, whether it be in a, a combination of 401k or outside 401k investor, you had to save like $50,000 a year compounded at a 5% rate of return. It gets two and a half million. I don't think that's realistic for most folks to be able to put away half their money. So I think it's all very interesting that this article writer, you know, puts this number out there, but I don't think it's realistically achievable. Uh, to, to accumulate that level of assets versus, you know, at a, at a hundred thousand dollar a year, uh, you know, income.
1: So what you're saying, Jeff, is it takes work. And so
0: what I'm saying is, is that budget (laughs) is important.
1: Yes. So what we're (laughs) getting at is prepare a budget. Some people are very late. They don't want to do a budget. It's painstaking. They don't want to do it. Yeah. It's the same thing when you're calculating your living expenses, make sure you have a budget for retirement. All right. Mm-hmm. that's when we can actually help you and devise a plan. And,
0: and the one thing that this article didn't take into account is, well, Social Security plays a little a role yeah. in that because that reduces the amount of income that your investments have to produce in order to reach that target number. And you don't necessarily have to have a budget for your retirement at 35 years old. When you really have to start thinking about that budget is maybe two, three years before retirement. And getting, getting your debts down as close to zero as possible. And getting, you know, starting to formulate that budget, starting to get a portfolio put together that uh, is not overly, you know, I had this issue uh, talking to a prospective client here in the last couple of weeks where they had told me, well, this is my goal for retirement income. Plus, this is what my social security is. This is my budget. And this is the number that my, that my investments need to produce. And the number was so large relative to a maximum 5% withdrawal rate. I, I was kind of curious how the, the lister was arriving at these computations. And, he was, and they were arriving at it by putting in a 10% return for their portfolio. And I said a 10% return expectation in the portfolio is not realistic for someone that might be 65 years old, because you're talking about having a very aggressive asset allocation in your portfolio, which is completely ill-advised when you're in retirement. You've got to have a more moderate asset allocation in your portfolio rather than using a 10% type uh, assumption for investment return. You've got to be closer to 5%, especially in this interest rate environment. Yes, Joe?
1: Well, no, and, and that was my whole point when we're talking about planning for retirement, everybody thinks the, that the investments are important. The investments are important. The first thing you've got to figure out is your income that you need. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to determine what asset allocation model I have to have to get me from point A to point B during retirement. Right. And that's where you find out if it's realistic or not right. based off of what the market's done over the long
0: And I think when I had this conversation with this prospective client, And we talked about expectations, and I said, I think that your return projection is just far too high and not realistic in retirement, because you can ill afford to have an aggressive asset allocation in your portfolio, and the markets take a tumble, because you just don't have that much time to recover. And so I said, you need to rethink the numbers at a much lower assumed rate of return. Well, that's going to do it here for the first hour of Money Wise here on KKTX. I want to invite all of our listeners in the Corpus Christi uh, market to continue listening for the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, where we'll go into some more investor education. And so we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital
2: Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at nine zero six zero zero seven zero, or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise@davidsoncap.com.
0: If you missed the first hour of moneywise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Moneywise programs and you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com Thank you Jeff you're welcome Well
2: as we like to do in most of the second hours, uh, of every weekend's Money Wise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental
0: issues, because I guess it's kind of like getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this, this is the way you get your retirement diploma, because you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll, I guess we'll, we'll go with 75%. 75% is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement? Now, this question has been, we've heard so many different, is it four times, is it five times, is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary, B is six times the salary, C is eight times the salary, or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement.
2: And the answer to that question is answer C, Eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But and there is a big there's, but here. There's always a catch. <laughs> this is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67.
3: These numbers, to me, I, I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurd large, honestly. $800,000. Well, think it, about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa I, Son. I, I know that, but, but, but when you see this number... Uh, $800,000, I I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number well remember the part of this quiz
2: is to set goals for oneself and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement that's why quizzes like this that's why we do these educational hours on the MoneyWise wise program like we do is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement and have i saved enough am i doing enough towards my retirement Uh, and if i'm not i need to really get on the ball but don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very very little that your retirement's completely shot i mean again
0: you have to get on it Uh, i'm gonna have to somewhat agree with dad and i'm gonna just throw out a couple of examples our grandparents our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they
3: they actually actually my, my my grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but, I, but I'm retired. thinking
0: about your parents, yes, and, no, Mom, no, and mom's no, parents. I'm, th- no, I'm, th- no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes
3: well, that's true. And
0: they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what, I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. I, I think I, this no, number no, no, scares no, no, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it, but it is used to scare people
2: to get them to think about. But, their but we've also
0: we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year, and we think that that's awfully low. and We think the reason they set it at four percent is one so that they could continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible to keep as much money on their, on their, in their care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we, can keep, we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can again collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule
2: of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now the answer is C. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz, Think You're Ready to Retire, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to MoneyWise at DavidsonCap.com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well,
3: Well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up because you think it's too overwhelming. It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for twenty eight year old people after they've been out in the world. I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So in, in high school, maybe,
2: and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore. Uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let's
3: flashback. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late sixties and get into it heavy in the seventies, we have a pension plan. I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. And every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. -hmm. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them wherever they go wherever they go but but they have to participate but they have to participate and so what i'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers i I fear that most of the people the baby boomers are the first 10 years of the baby boomers they're done they were in these same plans they didn't start their 401ks until the 80s there's no way in the world they got these kind of numbers. They just aren 't going to have these kind of numbers, no, not the majority of the people it 's almost as if these first two
0: questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven 't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before and they have a twenty eight years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand new cars yeah. in, in the garage you know in the real world most of the most of the people who had, when they retire. Their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say it is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt and no credit card debt." And, and, and they and they've
2: prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like they you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pension's usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is, of it, their
0: retirement is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have a no, million absolutely. dollars retirement? No. Stuck. Is is it bad to want to have 70 or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No. That's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay but but with all this said again if you are in your
2: 50s early 50s mid 50s and you haven't saved that much we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement no, no. we're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can but also like jeff was saying focus on your consumer debts F- you know focus on you know reducing car loans, expenses reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money
3: is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with Mm -hmm. your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need.
2: Mm-hmm. And, 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 again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take, like, the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending cuz I think dad some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny and I've been And I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it, and so it makes our our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So, question number three. Question number three.
1: What
0: percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement? A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. And the correct answer is C, only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up up from 42% in 2003, so... The good news is, is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save, this this uh, savings need calculation.
3: Well, I just think that, again, this is something that everyone can do, and I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We- Absolutely, and, and as
2: we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project, you know, what, potential retirement income you need, am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have, utilize the internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge
3: I also one other thing I didn't say I think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number as far as living yes I, I, I don't if think you
2: look at the actual world charts though dad right now someone age 65 they have a better than 50 percent chance to live well into their 80s yeah that, uh,
3: uh, with modern
2: advances in medicine so uh, you can disagree with it. But the I totally disagree. Are there.
3: I think that I mean there is very few people are going to be ninety two. Very very few.
2: I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. No. So question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer. Is 54%, about half of the 55 plus demographic thinks a nest egg of at least 250,000, not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000.
3: So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800,000. In question number one, we come back here on question number four, and we're saying, but that's less- eight hundred
2: thousand based on a hundred thousand dollar household income, Dad. So if you make I, okay, fifty thousand right, right. Gr- grant, dollars, it's four hundred thousand. But
3: what I'm saying here is, we, we can't even get. More than one in four people to have two hundred fifty thousand dollars.
2: I know that's why we're doing this survey you know, to really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, so two hundred fifty sounds a quarter of
3: a million a quarter of a million, million. a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live eighteen years plus. plus Past the age of sixty-five, all of a sudden you put twenty years into two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's not a lot of money. That's about twelve thousand five hundred a year. That's not. That's you're not going to be on a grand a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's why that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see the eight hundred number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on, and what our listeners will focus on, is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hey. No, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of you how many years you're you think you're going to live you got to watch your actuarials and see where they are and you have to plan accordingly you think people are going to live to be in their 90s uh, no, no 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 they're statistically i mean these I, are I'm statistics just, I'm, I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92 no that that's
2: that's absolutely true
3: and only one in four have got that number
2: that's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though. Is this is thirty six percent of of age fifty five plus. Thirty six percent of this group have reported to save less than ten thousand dollars. Now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. Going to the news when we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. MoneyWise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 Zero zero seven zero, or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. 275 2162 And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. So we're continuing the quiz that came out of the Wall Street Journal. Think you're ready to retire. That's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz. And we've gotten to question number five. Now, question number five is, what is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired, and what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 66, up from age 60, in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work.
0: I think since 2008, I have been making this statement that I thought that the re, one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen off. I, I, I think off. he's right on it.
3: I think he's because, right on it. Because
0: if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't, unless they can live strictly off of off
3: Social, Social Sec- Security. Then, well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're sixty-two, and you're saying no. the number right now is sixty-one. And for Kyle, for me, it's sixty-five. Well, what
2: I, I mean what what was um, what was amazing, though, I think in this last question, though, is that the average age of current retirees they stopped at sixty-one. They Which retired they at sixty-one retired before they before could get, they could get, get Social Security. Security, and now and now workers are currently thinking about age 66, I mean, I think it would be after the majority of
0: them start being able to collect.
2: And and here's something
3: else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And and, and really IRAs had not been around that long. And so Mm -hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired, are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every you know corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension
2: Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry
3: alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age... Sixty-one. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed
0: workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now the answer to that is, it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning: the large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life, and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so. Sixty-nine percent plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while twenty-five percent have worked for uh, say they have worked for pay in in retirement. So I mean that when 69% are planning
2: to work in retirement but in actuality only 25% do. So if you think well I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement when I finally retire I'll go get a part-time side job and and earn money that way. Well this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that. But very few actually go out and do
0: it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C. 53%, and that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses, so we are right. just talking about, Reduce and hang expenses. on to your current job for as long as possible.
3: But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving $250,000, so then how no, can no, 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 Yeah, yeah, one in four So how could so, only 53... How is it that 53% have enough savings? That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. <laughs> this number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, no. Retirement Risk Index what the I, Center what, what for I'm Retirement saying. Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies... Everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing the few we're seeing that one in four that has saved mm-hmm. that has got this money, but you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. When, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're we going to politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen. Since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable? Unaffordable Care Act. Health Act. I mean, we don't know. And so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, Excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010
2: deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this a few segments ago. Let me get to the answer. Hold, hold your horses there. Hold <laughs> oh, my water. 14% B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life In retirement, again, the key as to why you have
3: to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day how many more are retiring, and we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm just, snake. <laughs> I'm saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew social security it, benefits and whatnot. It's going skew entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the beside. Okay, so question
2: number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year. In 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections. In 2012, so you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, the re, but the remaining significantly larger than most... Now, this number is is we significantly don't know. larger we don't know than, most, than most consumers estimate. And a fidelity poll of pre-retirees age 55 to 64 found that nearly 48% believe that they will only need $50,000 to pay... <laughs> Health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care.
3: See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys from time to time kind of wade into, you know, what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years. And that is the cost, current cost of medical care, like a visit to a emergency room and what that can cost. $200,000? $200, $220,000. Uh, that number is too low. Whatever that number is... I'd believe 800000 before I'd believe 200000 because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that
2: medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at DavidsonCap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up so you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A 5%. Only 1 in 20. Savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional... $5,500 Fifty-five hundred dollars you can save on top of seventeen thousand five hundred dollars for anyone over the age of fifty. So, I mean, num-
0: that's, that's 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 shockingly been, you know, low. Well, we have been on we have been on for a long time talking about low participation low participation rates in four hundred one ks. So you, you compound been,
2: low participation with low contribution well, on low, top low, of that.
0: Yeah, and you, when you add those two together. Then you're then it's very easy to see how someone how we have what was it thirty some odd thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars.
2: That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee,
0: participate. Question number eleven of the quiz: A household age sixty five is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and now at three percent inflation. How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85?
2: And I can answer that question, Jeff.
0: At age 75
2: with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation. While they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, In this low interest rate environment... By having high allocations to fixed income in their portfolios. That's right, and that inflation is eroding purchasing power. Let me put it in a simpler way. $5,000 grocery bill today would cost over $9,000 in 20 years. And I used to use also that car example, what your 67 Fastback cost... Versus what the average cost of a uh, thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over thirty thousand dollars. That's inflation. Uh, question number twelve: What percentage of households age sixty five through seventy four carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is 41% carry housing debt and 32% carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000 according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in
0: 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B, only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if
2: you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day investment decisions on your retirement nest egg, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully, it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, lung- a younger longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully, this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball. To as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your fifties and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000 don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire you have time you have to start yeah. saving you have to start investing
0: retirement saving is not a race it's a marathon that's right and those who have you know a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are i think in in the end are going to have a much better retirement and and be much more comfortable. Now, that's not to say for those for those of us that are listening that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that. Time, is training. time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401K that you have at at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been many, like we, we continue to see many investors that, Have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not participating participating in the the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to to start to make a change. And, And, you know, retirement planning would be extremely
2: easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. So if
0: you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a... a, re, a and look at your retirement plan and see if, am I invested in the right securities? You know, give, give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'd be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And
2: you can reach us at
0: 906-0070 or toll free
2: at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.